Hi, I'm Tara, and you're listening to Cortez Currents on Cortez Community Radio 89.5 FM. We'll start with our usual note. The opinions expressed in the program that follows belong to the people expressing them and are not necessarily shared by the Cortez Radio Society, its board, staff, volunteers, or members. I'm back this week with the third episode in Nourish, a series for Cortez Currents. Nourish is about community food systems on Cortez Island. Nourish speaks to farmers, fermenters and food enthusiasts to ask, what feeds us in the time of COVID-19? This week, we're going right to the heart of our food system. We're going to learn about bees, the tiny creatures that give us one in every three bites of food we eat. We need bees. When I started making this podcast, I was determined to get a hive. So I visited Tony Clark, a longtime beekeeper on Cortez Island, to learn all about beekeeping. And Tony told me a story about how my quest to become a beekeeper could threaten all the pollinators on the island, how I could bring about a colony collapse right here on Cortez. But Tony also encouraged me to learn from the bees. So here are the four lessons I learned from the bees and their keepers. It's early May. I'm taking a course on bee biology and I've fallen totally in love with the bees. I want to become a beekeeper so I can care for pollinators that provide us with apples and berries and beets. So to go learn about how to become a beekeeper, I go and I visit Tony Clark. Tony's had bees for over 20 years. Now he's got about 15 hives. When I get to the field he keeps them in, Tony's there with Bert, his newest beekeeping apprentice. It's Bert's field the hives are on. This is Bert's first year mentoring. Last year he caught a swarm and I gave him a swarm and he kind of caught the bee bug like you did. So he's getting mentored by me, so he's learning all my bad habits. You take the good that I tell you and the bad that I tell you and you throw it out. <laughs> Whatever, you become your own beekeeper after a few years. I can show you down here in one of the hives there. Tony and Bert open up a hive and gently pull out a frame. The frame's packed with capped honey. Tony taps the frame on the edge of the hive, shaking off the hundreds of worker bees busy filling up the comb. You can see these hives are pretty jammed up, eh? Yeah. yeah considering they're so young, eh? I can't Gotta be it. careful, eh? You see, seem a little, a little fired up here right now. Come here, girls. So let's just, oh, this one's got honey on it, so let's just step away. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to be like, where are you taking that? <laughs> now they're really going to be pissed off. So, this is what they call capped honey. It's perfectly cured. I have a taste. Oh my god, the honey is divine. You know what it tastes like? It's like rosemary flowers. And the first little bit of hot spring sunshine. So after my time with Tony and Bert, I'm even more in love with bees. I ask my dad when I get home, if I get bees, can I keep them in your garden? He tells me, no. And when I ask him why, he says, you can't just bring bees into the ecosystem. 
It's the delicate balance, Tara. Yeah, so Tony told me this story. The bees on Cortez used to be mite and disease-free. Now, this is relatively unheard of. You have bees, you have mites. A few years ago, someone bought some hives here, and soon after, a lot of colonies on the island got really sick. Beekeepers would find piles of bee bodies outside the hives, and some colonies, all the bees died. That's one of the dangers we have here on Cortez, is um, I call them wannabe keepers. <laughs> and so you get somebody that's, you know, um, has a cousin in Vancouver that has bees and they go, hey, you know, oh, here, take, here's a nuke, take it up to Cortez, you know, and wow, that person comes in here with very little knowledge maybe of bees. And I don't know how they're medicated. I don't know what diseases they are, but their bees could very well be in my bee space. You know, there is sort of a, a little beekeeper rule about bee space. You know, that's my airspace. Please don't bring anything <laughs> ugly into it, you know. But uh, so, th and that's how the mites got here. We were mite free I, I, for a long time. And then one day I had Reinhold knock on my door and he said, Tony, I got mites. So somebody had brought a hive over that was infected and we got them. But, you know, for 10, 12 years, there was, I, I didn't even medicate for mites. I mean, it was wow. lovely. <laughs> yeah. And then once they got here, um, we all treated because we were all infected with mites within three years kind of thing. And then what ended up happening was we started to have colonies die. And so we had Brenda, the bee inspector, come over and she, she kind of sat us down and said, well, because you've had these mites, now you've, there's other little things that come with it, little viruses and stuff. And you guys are now maybe feeling the effects of other little viruses that are coming. The mites Tony's talking about, they're the deadly varroa mites. They attach to the bees just behind their heads. Varroa mites are parasitic, which means they survive by feeding off the bees. This alone leads to a slow death for the bees. But mites amplify other threats to bees. Mites compromise the bees' immune systems, and they also carry and spread viruses. So what does this mean? Well, mite-invested colonies are much more likely to die from other factors, such as food shortages, disease, and by ingesting pesticides from crops. Scientists agree that mites are the leading cause of mortality for bees right now. So, beekeepers must work hard to keep the mite counts down doing regular inspections and annual antibiotic treatments. Everybody seems to get along real good, but it's it's just tough for everyone to get together and get on the same path. And, yeah, and people and, have different ideas, right? Like some oh, people sure don't do. want to use oh, like yeah. medications. Some people do, and that's right. I'm dead against people not using medications. I and. Anyone that I've ever sold bees to, I give them, I, I don't ask them to sign anything, but I certainly ask them if they're going to medicate it. And the way I explain it to them is if your dog had fleas, would you go get it a flea collar or would you let it scratch itself to death mm -hmm. and die a miserable death? Mm -hmm. And I don't like chemicals or, or anything any more than anyone else, but I do know that um, if my dog's dying, <laughs> It, it needs a flea collar, you know? And so, so I've never sold bees to anyone that didn't agree to medicate, you know? And 
I've tried to do it organically as possible. I, 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 myself, a lot of guys use auxilic acid. I tend to use formic acid, you know, um, as a treatment myself. It's a thing that ants produce yeah. and uh, stinging nettles. An intriguing treatment option has been studied by Cortez Island's own Paul Stamets. Here's Stamets presenting his research at a conference. So I had a garden. Louis Schwarzberg captured this one. I had two beehives, and I'm growing the garden giant mushroom in my garden. And then one day I walk out in the morning, and I'm astonished when I look close. I have bees that move the wood chips away, exposing the mycelium. So Stamets began research with Washington State University. Well, the bees also are being parasitized by mites, and mites carry viruses. And when there is a 7% infestation of mites in beehives, the colony collapses. Whoa. Well, there's lots of research on entomopathogenic fungi. Some of you know my work on this. And there's this metarhizium fungus that does not harm bees, but attacks the mites. So there's a lot of research on how can we control varroa mites that are vectoring the viruses by using this fungus. So something else that I've been very keen on and so when Louis Schwartzberg knew of my work with insects and fungi, he says, Paul, can you help the bees? I went, you know, I had this really strange experience with bees in my garden. So I said, well, Louis, let me look into that. And then I have this epiphany that took me 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have now created myco honey coming from mycelium. So we started doing experiments with bees a massive amount of viruses will, will reproduce within the bees without the exposure to the mycohoney. But as the mycohoney increases, there is a radical decline in the viral uh, pathogen payload. How weird is this? That the same mushrooms that can limit bird flu, H5N1, herpes, also positively affect bees and being able for them to control the viral burden and reduce them. These findings, that mushrooms are an effective antiviral treatment for bees, were later published in the journal Nature, which is a big deal in the world of science. Stamets is now developing a bee feeder, which looks kind of like a hummingbird feeder. Beekeepers will be able to fill the feeders with mushroom extract solutions, and the bees will gain the immune benefits from the mushrooms. Tony says it makes sense to him. There's lots of old growth trees and other trees, all dying alders around here that produce all, all sorts of different, yeah. you know, fungi, I guess. And who knows? All this suggests that the bees know a lot about caring for their own health, and in this case, self-medicating using mushrooms. There's another paper I read for the course I'm taking that says honeybees have complex socialized medicine. That means behaviors to stop the spread of disease within the hive such as not letting sick bees re-enter. We know about this from social distancing. The authors of the study advocate for natural beekeeping without the use of medications and pesticides. But experimenting with these methods could have detrimental implications for the whole island's bees, wild and cultivated, since the landmass is simply so small and all the colonies overlap. To put it simply, the risks of not medicating are high. This is so tricky. There's a lot of different ideas about how to manage bees, but what one beekeeper decides to do will affect all the other colonies on the island. 
Tony tells me good relationships and communication between beekeepers is key to keeping threats in check. Lesson number one. Learn as much as you can from books and local beekeepers. In Tony's words... A, medicate. B, you buy beekeeping for dummies because I've never come across a problem where the answer was sort of in there. You can figure it out. I'm learning that bees are a big commitment and a big responsibility. It's not just a tragic, heart-crushing death of my own colony I might face if I'm not a diligent beekeeper. It's also the death of all the bees on the island. Mites and viruses spread fast between colonies, and to wild bees as well. I'm not even settled properly. I'm young. I'm not sure if I'll be on the island in a few months. It's pretty unfair to leave my dad with that kind of responsibility. So, I let go of my dream of having a beehive of my own. But I thought maybe I could help out a friend who's trying to set up a hive. So, one day I went to visit Sharon in her garden. Bee species here. See, you can, can you see the gigantic one over there? There's a large flower and there's a gigantic, really big bumblebee just going in and out of it. See it? And they're absolutely massive and they're really beautiful. So, like me, Sharon's in love with bees. But unlike me, she's got a garden of her own and the time to take on the responsibility of caring for a colony. But she hasn't gotten one yet. She's waiting for a swarm. A swarm is when part of a colony flies away from their old home in search of a new one. In our climate, honeybee swarms don't survive in the wild. But other beekeepers can catch the swarms and house them. So instead of ordering a hive online, catching a swarm is what Sharon's trying to do. She's built swarm traps, basically little boxes with a hole on the front and has a hive hosted high in the air. Seems like hard work catching a swarm, and there's no guarantee of success. When I was thinking I'd get bees, I just Googled it, and yeah. for like $300 yeah. or $400, yeah. you can order a yeah. nuke yeah. from Vancouver or wherever, yeah. and I was thinking, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> so I'll order yeah. bees tomorrow. Yeah. So why did you decide to do this very laborious task of catching a swarm instead well um there's so there's these uh, everybody i suppose now has heard of um you know uh, hives and colonies collapsing and one of the reasons for this is uh, a mite which infects the hive uh the mite um chews off the wings of um the uh of the of the bees as they're sort of in a larval or as they start to hatch and um they and they, they're very, very damaging and uh, will destroy a hive. And it's so, so difficult to stay on top of it. You must use uh, various chemicals to stay on top of it uh, and not end up with a hive that's full of mites. Uh, and the reason why that's important is it's not just for you and your hive. It's because your bees will go off, they'll mingle with other bees, they'll be in and out of the same flowers that all the other bees uh, are in and out of. And this is how this mite has spread Everywhere there are bees, there are mites. There is nowhere that has no mites now. So if you, you, know, if you order a queen and a nuke from any of these um, places, they're all, so many of them are fantastic. They do fantastic work. But I'm 
I'm very worried about introducing some disease to the island mm-hmm. because um, that could be disastrous for the, the, all the beekeepers on the island and the bees uh, that, you, you know, you introduce something. Sharon says if it doesn't work out, she'll try and buy bees from another Cortez beekeeper. Lesson number two. Get your bees locally. Talk to local beekeepers and see if they're willing to mentor you or sell you bees. Sharon walks me to her gate. Everything's pretty overgrown on the margins of her garden and she explains that this isn't a mistake. When I arrived here from Vancouver, well actually before that, when I was in Vancouver, one of my neighbours gave me a good telling off about the number of dandelions on our lawn, which, you know, I was like, okay. And... uh, so we tried to cut our lawn more often. And then when I came here, I was all, I still had this thing about getting rid of the dandelions. And then, you know, one day I was looking at them and I realised there's so many insects are on these dandelions. So I, I think you have to change your approach. You know, the, the, if, if something is supporting the bees and the, and the birds and the insects, then you have to, you know, that's not a weed. <laughs> Tony agrees that the most important thing we can do for bees on Cortez actually has nothing to do with becoming a beekeeper. It's about how we treat our plants. I think the best thing people could do on Cortez Island to, to, to help the bees, you know, you want to use a pesticide, which people are going to use, you know, they just do, um, is you want to put those pesticides on in the evening. You know, onto your, if you're going to spray your fruit tree, do it in the evening. And then by the time the the bees are are all at home by then, and then by the time the morning comes, that's that the pesticides have kind of done their thing. And in the morning when the bees arrive, we're not going to get our bees aren't getting poisoned. Mm. And to me, the the average Joe, that's the the best thing you can do to help a beekeeper. So they're out there, good safe pesticides and, and stuff like that. I'm not convinced that there's any such thing as good, safe pesticides when it comes to bees. Certainly, there's a group of pesticides that are still allowed in Canada, despite their ban in Europe, and the outcry of hundreds of scientists. Neonics, they're called, kill insects, including the bees who connect nectar and pollen from the tree to crops. The crazy thing is, you or I can go and buy common pest control products off the shelves and use them in our own fruit trees and gardens. The scientific community pretty much unanimously agrees that neonics are bad news for bees. But other studies have found that replacement pesticides can be just as bad. So I've decided I don't want to get bees of my own, but I do want to keep bees. I want to keep bees that are already all around me alive. Lesson number three, toxic pesticides kill bees. Getting bees, for me, never really was about the honey. For me, it was about connecting to the bees, watching them collect pollen from squash blossoms in my garden, watching them touch antennae to communicate where the best food is. And I don't have to have a hive to do all that. I can just go outside and sit in a patch of sunshine and listen for that sweet, sweet buzz. Beekeeping, for me, was also about connecting with my community in a time where it's really hard to make new friends. But I left Tony's hives with a friendship. It's not just bees that keep our food system going, but also 
mentorships, connection. Each one of us sharing what we know so that all of us can be healthy. It's what bees do for the health of the collective colony. So that's the fourth and final lesson I've learned from the bees and their keepers. Lesson number four. Share what you know so that the whole community can be healthy. That's it for today, but I'm going to keep on observing bees. I'm sure they've got a whole bunch more lessons for me. Thanks for tuning in to Cortez Currents. This program was funded by a grant from the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Government of Canada's Local Journalism Initiative. This is a song called The Humming of the Bees, and it's a very strange title for a song, but um, it started out as something uh, very small, and um, it just kept on growing. <laughs> so it's like this now. <laughs> oh yeah, it's great.
Thank you. Thank you, Marco. Marco is a, the captain of the spaceship today. <laughs>